1: So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click or
0: just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
1: This episode of Wishers Breakaway is brought to you by, as always, our Patreon subscribers, honestly, could not do without you. We're just going to get to the show today. Got Travis Yost, got Sarah Sivian, me and Greg talk about some other teams with salary cap, problems it's pretty much everybody all right let's get to the show and happy middle of july where no sports are happening whatsoever all right hey Bush breakout fans welcome to another week of the Bushword breakaway i am your host as always ryan Mead, and i'm here with my co-host as always also greg Kaplan. greg say hello
2: so I, 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 have a, I have a point to hit off right off the bat
1: here. Yeah, I have some questions for you too, so go on.
2: All right. Obviously, I was down in Florida for the week. You were. Uh, visiting, visiting the parents, getting off the grid, doing my uh, Bobby Margarita, all wrapped in one weekend. But then I, the difference is I came back to work immediately. But uh, Marlins Park, right? Huge on TV. Seems massive.
1: Rangers podcast. Yep.
2: I don't know, I don't know if it's just because it's like a baseball stadium inside. And if it obviously doesn't ever have a ton of people in it, like seven, but there, I don't, 17. I think it's like like 30,000 seats, even when it's full, it just seems really small is my point. And it, it, it always throws me off guard because I know it's massive. I know it's hard to hit homers there, but then I'm sitting in there watching it. I'm like,
0: God,
1: this ballpark's fucking tiny. What was your experience of watching the Mets play tomorrow in three days in a row?
2: No, no, I didn't go Friday. So I okay. only went Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Uh, so I saw him win twice, which was nice.
1: Okay. That's um, three is too much.
2: My, my thoughts are they, they hit, like this team still hits, and that's not a problem. The problem is anytime the bullpen came into the game, I wanted to light my hair on fire. <laughs> Watching I So I legit forgot that Familia was a Met until Sunday when the seventh inning started, and they brought him in, um, and uh, he got the first out. I told my dad they should take him out right now to build his confidence. My dad laughed, thinking that here's my son making a funny joke. Not no, a, no. Not a joke, Dad. Serious, uh, because the next three hitters, you ask, uh, double, walk, walk. And then they took him out. And I was like, yeah, no, that went about exactly as expected.
1: Truly phenomenal. Uh, do you, you have any good stories about your mother before we get to actual Rangers news? Which of there is little? Um,
2: five days is too many with her at this point in my life. It's probably uh, fair. That's one. Yep. Uh, the the – some of the stuff that she would come up with and say, either in the car to – my mom hates silence, which is.
1: Uh, Have she heard about the radio?
2: Yeah, no, but the radio doesn't work. Like if if you're if she's not physically talking, that's considered silence. It doesn't uh, matter what else is happening around her. Okay, five hour car ride with her, and it's just, it's either, at at some point I had to take over the wheel because uh, my dad can do no right when he's driving. Doesn't matter what he's doing, my mom will criticize it. My mom is at least smart enough to know that if she criticizes me. Uh, I, I bike back. I will give her a hard time if she tries to tell me what I'm doing is wrong. So uh, I, I had to jump in and drive when I didn't want to do that. Let me put it this way, Ryan. Yes. My parents drove me insane in that five-hour car ride. I had two rum and Cokes with lunch. I had pretty impressive something stuff. with an extra shot of tequila as my first drink at the Marlin game. And then three tall boys. And at that point, I was numb enough to be able to handle them the rest of the day.
1: I'm proud of you, Ben. All right, let's uh we are a New York Rangers podcast. We have a lot to get to today. Huge show, a lot of big news. Greg. Yeah. Oh, uh, what do you want to talk about?
2: <laughs> so, here's uh here's basically the only thing we uh, well, it's not the only thing. I've got some things. I
1: have have I've I've done some research that we'll touch on.
2: The only thing I want to talk about is um we've talked a lot about how the Rangers need to move out salary space, which they do. Uh what we haven't really touched about a lot is uh, who the fuck they can move the salary space out to?
1: And you've done and a little bit the... of research to this.
2: Yes, uh, by research I've opened up capfriendly.com.
1: Oh my god, what an expert podcaster you are!
2: So there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams with north of that was ten million dollars. Counting the
1: podcast, space. absolutely
2: ten million dollars in in <laughs> cap space currently available. Yep, um, but there are things to remember. For example. Philadelphia Flyers have some restricted free agents they have to sign and the Rangers wouldn't trade with them. So that $13 million is really non-existent. Um, the two other teams are in the Metro with the Rangers. The Blue Jackets are at 15.7. The Devils are at 19.8. The Avalanche, even though they have $19 million in cap space, probably $10 million of that is going to Miko Rantanen's extension whenever they want to sign him. So that cap space is not as big as it is. The Jets at $22 million is a complete lie because they have Line A and Connors who will eat up maybe even $17 million of that $22 million. Mm. And then there's the Ottawa Senators who need to find a way to pay players, so they're always an option. But my point for this entire thing is I don't remember a time, and I don't think this is because the salary cap only went up by like a million dollars this year. It, just, it feels like everyone is in a cap crunch right now, and it seems odd to me that that's the case.
1: It but was, it's it's kind of funny because we were going to be the the team that didn't have a cap crunch and we were going to be able to take on contracts, and that quickly changed in the past two weeks.
2: Yeah, but it it it's like you you go through what some of the teams have to do here, right? The we're gonna we should make note that Travis Yost and Sarah Sivian are both on today's podcast. That's so correct. I did we that. We talked a little bit about the Hurricanes and the NHL in general, but for example, like we know Vegas has to make a trade and it's probably going to cost them Gusev. We know that the Maple Leafs need to make a trade if they want to extend Marner because they're sitting at under $4 million cap space. We know that the Oilers have been desperate to try and move out of contract. They're at under $4 million in cap space. The Lightning need to move out of contract because they have to extend Point, and they're under $5 million or $6 million, I should say. Um, the Bruins need to make a move in order to extend uh, McAvoy, The Islanders, they're probably good, but the Rangers aren't trading with them. Like, you go through the list of teams the Rangers could trade with and the players they're looking to trade. Like, the Avalanche makes sense if they want Kreider or Nemesnikov. They would
1: have to be the front-runner for me, personally. I just feel like the Avalanche are going to be the team that the Rangers eventually end up making the trade with, but that's just a gut feel. Uh,
2: Like, the, the Flames at $9 million is a lie because they got Kachuk they have to worry about. Um... And you just keep going down the list, and it's like the wild make a little sense, but I think they got contracts they still got to make deals with. They're just, there isn't an obvious trade partner for the Rangers anymore. And it's not so much that it's concerning, it's more that I wasn't expecting the Rangers to have this difficult a time making a move or two. I think it's a guarantee the Rangers buy someone
1: out. Um, and I mean, oh, you do. You so you think I Smith, Smith I, or Stahl is get, are getting bought out no matter what? So Smith really? Stahl's not getting bought out no matter what. So Smith. I do
2: think Smith or, or Shattenkirk.
1: Dude, there's. Uh, sorry, I made a Greg noise. There's no way that Shattenkirk is bought out. I just I there's
2: no way that Shattenkirk should be bought out. But this is the first time where I've really taken a step back and been like, I guess there might like the the market or if there was a market for Kevin Shattenkirk, it's come and gone because every team. That would trade for that kind of defenseman right now. Where are they? Right, the Maple Leafs technically. Again, we just talked about how they have to move salary. The Blackhawks don't have any room. The Penguins don't have any room. The Sabers have already made all their moves. Are you going to convince the Florida Panthers that what they need is a defenseman like Kevin Shattenkirk? I just can't. Gonna- I
1: cannot see a world where we buy out six point five million Kevin Shattenkirk with his two years remaining. Like that just. I, I believe we could do 50% retaining somehow, some way during the season, and I'd rather hold on to him. But, I mean,
2: it, at this point, it's just simple math, right? Mm-hmm. Say whatever the Trouba deal is, even if the Trouba deal is one year, it's still going to be north of $7 million, which is what the Rangers' cap space is right now. Say you even want to bridge Bucinevich, it's still going to be around $3 million. So for those two guys alone, you need $10 million in cap space, and you need eleven if you factor in Brendan Lemieux. Uh, and at some point in time, like, push is going to come to shove. If the Rangers can only trade Nemesnikov, and even then, if they trade Nemesnikov at 50% retained, like, it, it's it's not a point where we need to worry about it, per se. It's just a point where it's, it's – we're at a point in the offseason where it's no longer, like, the Rangers can move out X contract for Y, mostly because there just aren't enough teams looking to add the type of player right now that the Rangers need to trade. I, I, And that honestly might be one of the reasons why Kreider is the guy that goes, because I think Kreider is a commodity to all teams. If you have cap space or not, he's really the Whereas one, the,
1: the, the movable one. I mean, Bucinavich could yeah. be the movable one also, but
2: you're asking a team to give something up. And if you're the Rangers, you can't take salary back. So you're, you're asking a team to give something up for Bucinavich and then pay him. And we're at a point in the off season where it's, It's really hard to imagine someone being part of the reason why I think we haven't heard much news recently. It's because no one's working. No one's working, but at the same time, it's like the NHL is the one league where it feels like just about every team fucks themselves with cap space. Like they forget that they haven't paid certain players. I'm not saying the Rangers are this. The Rangers are a team that use their cap space as an asset in order to get an Artemi Panarin and Jacob Truba. And now they thought they could move a Nemestikov with ease, and it's just not proven to be the case. I really I really don't know who the Rangers would trade with outside of the Avalanche, and it's kind of crazy. That's concerning because that other, other world... teams
1: are definitely going to be trying to trade with the Avalanche too, and then it makes the price lower on whatever you're trying to trade with the Avalanche.
2: I mean, I'd trade with the Devils too. Like, I don't care that the Devils are playing in my division at all. The Rangers and Devils have made trades in very recent history. Yeah. I mean,
1: we sent grabbed so, uh, the, grab there a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah. So it's, they're another team, but like you're running out teams quick is my point. And two of the three teams, the Rangers could trade with the blue jackets and the devils both play in your division. So you might not exactly have the, the gusto to make a move with them. It's just like, do you convince the St. Louis blues that instead of resigning Patrick Maroon they should trade for Vlad Nemestikov. It's a tough sell. Uh, Not easy. The Bruins, Bruins, a very popular team the Rangers have traded with recently. Again, they have their own cap issues. Uh, The Ducks are in a weird what the fuck are we doing point where I think they're just trying to take stock of everything they have on their roster before they make a move. The Canadians have a little wiggle room, but I think the Canadians have more pressing needs than someone like nemesnikov we talk about the canucks with uh travis yost they don't have really any maneuvering room we talk about the hurricanes with sarasivian and while they have maneuvering room they've only signed 34 of their 50 contracts and only have six million dollars left and they're trying to figure out if they want justin Wils williams first and foremost so it's just like the rangers realistically speaking for a nemesnikov trade which seems like the most obvious cap casualty. We're talking about like three teams the Rangers could trade with. And it's almost like you have to make the trade before those three teams get smart and make a deal for someone else.
1: Oh, certainly let's, um, are we done with that segment? Yeah,
2: that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to get some frustrations out there into the world and freak other people out.
1: That's what we're here for. Uh, here's a new segment I'm unveiling. It's called better know a player. Oh no. Today is Greg McEgg. I did some background research into Greg McKeag, and I think we're going to do this with some other players too in the future. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We're trying some things. It's July, man. There's no. I, there's there's you know nothing to I talk prefer, about. I
2: prefer we do this segment every week with Greg McKeag.
1: It's going to be tough, but we'll start. We'll start right now. The Greg sees Uh, uh, we'll we'll call it the kegger. Is that cool?
2: Uh, let's do it. Also, while we're here, shout out to Mike McKeag. Who I assume is Greg's dad, who now follows us on Twitter. That's unbelievable.
1: I hope he does. Uh, can we try to call him? Do you want to DM him?
2: M- Mike McKegg? I yeah. will DM him after this podcast.
1: DM him. Be like, hey, are you Greg McKegg's dad, and can we d- can we call you um, to ask you about our segment, The Kegger, which just started last week. All right, to The Kegger. I've gone deep into uh, Greg McKegg's Twitter history. Got to be right. honest, not a lot there. Maybe like 80 tweets in total. Let's read some together, mm-hmm. shall we? Greg, oh Greg McKegg, in 2012, November 5th. Great weather in Houston today. Thanks, Greg. Really appreciate it. Okay. Uh, on December 25th, 2012, Merry Christmas. Now, you're probably saying, Ryan, that's a dumb tweet to to read. That's, you know, everyone says Merry Christmas in 2012 on Twitter. Uh, you know, and on actual Christmas. Cool. October 13th, 2013. Happy Thanksgiving.
2: <laughs> yeah, but hold on. Is-
1: Hold on. <laughs> yeah. That's not
2: fair because he's probably talking about Canadian Thanksgiving. Oh, shit. So that's that's more of a reflection on you being a dumbass than it is Greg McKay.
1: This is Greg McKay on my face. Yeah. That was a good joke.
2: Yeah, you fucked I'm, up. I'm going
1: to clap myself for that one. All right. Uh, I did find one other thing. There's a website called playerswiki.com, and Greg oh. McKay has one. Let's talk about Greg McKay's personal life, shall we? Oh boy! The 27-year-old player, Greg McKegg, is still not married. First of all, still not married. You, what's, you're, not, you're rushing the guy? And also, the current relationship slash affair status of him is not disclosed on the media. Wow, Player's Wiki. You're really digging deep into Greg McKay's personal life. Uh, besides, he is career-focused busy man, so he utilizes his maximum time on his sports career. No, I'm not misreading this. It's what it says. Um, does career focused busy man mean?
2: Uh, whatever you do, the opposite of that.
1: Okay. In addition to this, he hasn't shared any detail on his official social accounts regarding his personal life and also hasn't given a single hint, which he suggests his probable wife, girlfriend, or spouse. That's true. I support that. I went on Greg McKeg's Instagram. It is private over under three posts, Greg.
2: On his Instagram?
1: Yes. I'll take the under. It's two. That's correct. Um, uh,
2: so just just so we're clear, yes, people know more about my ongoings with the elusive Meg yes. than anyone knows about what Greg McKegg is up to.
1: Greg McKegg on your face also. Um, moreover, he has kept his official Instagram account private, which means that he keeps his personal life in a low profile. And he keeps his personal life hidden from those in general public. This is very confusing, this last line of this uh, paragraph for you from Players Wiki. Other than being a famous NHL center, okay, Greg famous. McKegg is pretty famous in social media. Is he? What? Okay, let's read that one more time. Other than being a famous NHL center, Greg McKegg is pretty famous in social media. The famous NHL star is six feet in height and weighs around 84 kilograms. Greg Becake is not only a world class athlete but it also, I'm reading this correctly, but also has a very attractive individual.
2: I feel like this website needs to go away. This feels like that time we found jewornotjew.com.
1: I totally forgot about jewornotjew.com, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is which I think is problematic now 3 years later. You know, the funny thing is, I think it was
2: another time in the summer where we are like, what the fuck are we going to talk about? Yeah. And then I just found a website. Well, I think it came up because we were trying to figure out if someone was Jewish and we just put in is so-and-so Jewish. And then, and Jew then the first website came that up. came up was Jew or Not jewornotjew.com.
1: Yes. Unbelievable stuff. Um, yeah. I, I think it's our job now to make mm-hmm. Greg McKay is pretty famous in social media. It's our job. It's, it's our calling. So, uh, it's, int-
2: it's interesting. It's definitely something to
1: do. So that was uh, this week's edition of the kegger. I'm glad everyone could, uh, come around here and do some stands with us. And, uh, also hopefully you all got some Greg McKeg on your face. Uh, we have two big interviews, one with Travis Yost and one with Sarah Sivian, which, you know, um, we'll talk about that in a second, but before we get to those, we have five star questions, Greg, which I almost forgot, but I didn't first five star question this week comes from Joe M 27. Hey guys, just want to start by saying that you two are the funniest MFers I've ever heard seen. Thanks. Was there
2: was there like a was there a slash in there between heard and scene? There was not,
1: and scene was spelt with three E's. I wanted to ask if you guys would consider talking about Meg for the majority of the podcast. Uh, Oh wait, 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 Greg. Wait. I think Greg (laughs) talking about Meg is hilarious. Thanks, guys. Hashtag breakaway over banter. Thanks, Joe M's twenty seven. Appreciate that. I don't know if this is Joe or not. Um it is Joe, but the Joe. Uh, I want to answer that question for you, Joe m 27 And I'm glad you asked. On our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash breakaway, Greg and I are starting a nonsense podcast series, which will be recording its first episode hopefully next week. The first nonsense episode, which will be a tell-all of Blue Shirts Breakaway oral history, where we will spill some serious drama and some behind-the-scenes things about Blue Shirts Breakaway. The second episode of the nonsense series for patreon.com slash Breakaway will be Bush's Breakaway, a love story, where Greg and I go heavily into our romantic details. Oh, no. <laughs> that was your idea. Um, was it? Yeah. I don't remember that. that was, I'm going to sit that one out. <laughs> that was your idea. You were like, we should do it as a bonus. And I said, yes. So, that, those are the first two episodes, which will be coming uh, the next two months. So, if you want to reach in those, go to those. Uh, second five-star question of the week is from Ryan Mead. Says here, we didn't get any other five star questions this week. So, what is your favorite condiment to put on a hamburger, Greg?
2: Is there a condiment that isn't ketchup?
1: Yeah, I like Thousand Island. I enjoy ranch on your burger. Yeah, I like the. the, isn't, the mayo isn't Thousand
2: ketchup. Island basically like ranch with ketchup?
1: It's pretty much mayo ketchup mix. Yeah, it's it's pretty okay. good. I'm I'm into it. I've I've I put chives on my burger yesterday. Chives are strong and they're spicy. So that was a, a, that was a mistake by me. But I kind of liked it in a weird way. It was a, In a masochistic way. Uh, if you want to leave a five-star question for us, you can go to our iTunes account and leave a five-star question. Just type, type in New York Rangers or Blue Shields Breakaway will be the first result. That's right, motherfuckers. I haven't cursed in a while. And uh, leave a five-star question. I know it's July, so there's not a lot going on, but we, we will answer your question on air. Thanks, Joe, for giving us a question this week. Uh, we have two interviews, like I said, Travis Yost and Sarah Savian. The Sarah Savian interview. I'll no, just let it be. It's good. It's a good time. Uh, and uh, let's go to those now. Transition. We have recurring guest, Travis Yost, to the first time he came on. Oh, he's a TSN analyst. Uh, TSN analyst. Hockey analyst for TSN. First time he came on, we were talking about throwing up into pizza boxes. Welcome back, Travis. Is that really what we talked about? Uh, no, you we, we were talking about throwing up into pizza boxes on the call when you joined. And then we talked about it for like five minutes before we started the podcast. That's true. That's a fact.
0: I got to go back and listen to that episode. I, 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 in fairness to you guys, I can't remember what I had for dinner. like two nights ago. So that, that's like a barely a chance. It, it
1: wasn't one. you. It was me and Greg. So we're totally cool. <laughs> we're straight. <Yeah.
2: laughs> All right. And uh, it, it sounds like it wasn't pizza because now I feel like you'd remember.
1: Yes. <laughs> we brought you on because, well, once the July 1st date hits for the NHL, sort of all the news stops and I just want to recap some of the off season that we've had so far. I guess we're going to hit you with some softball questions uh, to start. What was sort of the least surprising contract for you? What was the contract that was like, yeah, we all knew that was coming.
0: Ooh, is this league water for the Rangers? I mean,
1: you know what? The reason why I say that is
0: I think you could put the bread man in the top three, top four of like least surprising contracts. I, I, I think if you would have said, "Hey, the Rangers are going to get Panarin long-term uh, on a on a obviously very very lucrative deal like, like 11.6 million AAV for the next I don't know, billion years," um, that 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 contract seemed like it was ready to rock, and only two or three times only two or three teams could have reasonably signed that contract. So I put Panarin pretty high up there, but uh, I think number one is obviously Dubrovsky. I think. I mean, I, the Bobrovsky contract in Florida, I think, was signed at, like, the trade deadline of last year. So I don't um, – I, I, I mean, that, that was, like – I don't even know if Bobrovsky – did anyone even hear if Bobrovsky even met with other teams? Or it was like, yeah, you're going to be in Florida. Like, I, I felt like that contract was one of the more inevitable signings we've really had in the
1: last, like, five seasons. Do you feel like there the I, felt, Islanders had, like, any chance at all? Yeah.
0: There, there felt
2: like a little minute there where the Islanders were like, we can sign you both. And then Bobrovsky, it was like,
0: I really would rather not. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I. That was fleeting at best. I, I really, I felt like the Islanders were only in the mix because it was like, don't oh, well, I guess we need one other team to kind of string along here, and that's, that's not a slight on the Islanders. I think every team has been in that boat at some point in the last few years, but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm a little biased, but it was like, man, it was like the trade game. On. I was like, all right, so Bobrovsky's getting a Max far. so what else is gonna happen? This summer?
2: Yeah, no, if that's the most yeah if, if that's the most obvious deal though what to you was like, wait a second that
0: happened uh, well I, I I wrote about one of the most I, I I don't want to use the word circumvention um, because i i am I'm one step below that but uh, the Kevin LeBanc extension in San Jose was I, I I don't know if it's being appreciated for what it is um, I can't remember outside of Kolchuk, 17-year deal, and the Leafs signing Jeff Finger when I think they thought they were signing Kurt Sauer. Uh, I don't know of a contract that was more like, yeah, something's weird here. I mean, it, like, yeah, it was an RFA extension, but this is a guy with a 40-point season and a 56-point season back-to-back. He's a 23-year-old. He's The only thing working against him was that he didn't have Arbright. Okay, so that that matters a little bit, but The Sharks landed an RFAer who's clearly an established middle six forward at this point in his career and a fringe second line guy to a one year, $1 million contract off a 56 point season. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that 56 points is, or, or that points are everything and that there aren't defensive components that we care about and that there may be some Joe Thornton funny business going on with. Really, I don't know, the rising tide lifts off boats type of stuff. But, I mean, <laughs> there's, it's hard to put into a sentence how how comically low that contract is. And just to recap, gets the lowest term possible, basically the lowest number possible. He only signed for $200,000 more than his qualifying offer, and he's still restricted at the end of the season. I mean, that. I wouldn't say a circumventing type of deal, but whatever one step below that is is, is and, and I'm not the only one suggesting that. I mean I, I think Elliot Freeman mentioned on the radio was one example that there were some agents out there that were kind of whispering that loudly. Um, from me I guess the other the other part of that question would really be a focus on the UFAs. Um uh the Tyler Meyer signing was odd. Um I, I, I just I don't I don't really understand the fit in Vancouver like Vancouver to me see it seems like they have a front office that's desperate to make the playoffs this year so they've made a lot of like we're on the fringes so we're going to go out and buy some pieces up like JT Miller and and Tyler Myers and Mike, Michael Furland Michael with an EA Furland and and like th- those are those moves will improve that team there's no doubt about it but Myers got a pretty substantial long-term deal for a team that I really don't think is is there yet i mean if you look at the pacific division i mean they're not they're not even close from a talent perspective to teams like san jose vegas or calgary so at a in an absolute best case scenario that leaves them fourth in the division and i don't even know that fourth will necessarily be good enough to make the playoffs so it felt like a front office that's getting increasingly desperate to save jobs so contracts are handed out and um, you know, if, if Vancouver does not make the playoffs this year, I fully expect that the front office will be overhauled. And then of course, one of the first orders of business will be, well, what do we got here with Tyler Myers? Is he tradable? Can we move him? Can we get some assets now? Cause I think that's, they're still in the middle of a rebuild here.
1: I like how we're this a, is, uh... a week away from that happening and we're already like, yeah, can we trade a guy we just signed for multiple years? Sounds good.
2: <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. This, this is, this is going to hurt my feelings to say it because it's only a reflection of myself. But the Vancouver Canucks just remind me of everything the Mets do. It's like the Mets convince their fans they're contenders by signing Todd Frazier and Wilson Ramos. And that's basically what the Canucks do every offseason by bringing in the the Jay Beagles, Antoine Rossells, Tyler Myers. Who? Oh, by the way, we also haven't extended Brock Besser yet, and we now don't have the salary cap to do it. Uh, the Vancouver yeah, Canucks, that,
0: everybody. There, there is a, a Metsian vibe to that. There absolutely is. and And it's not – I, th- I think it's just indicative of, like, poorly run front offices, right? Like, that that's really what you're getting at. And I, I think Vancouver, over the years, has been very guilty of not signing the shiny object in free agency, but signing the kind of shiny object that costs just as much. And, you know, I, I think about it. They were right. Remember, remember July 1, 2016? When each god, god awful contract was worse than the last one that was signed, and it felt like every second line forward was signing for seven years and forty two million. When it went Lucic and and Valteriu yeah. and there's a the run of guys, and they were right in the middle of it with Louis Erickson, Who, by the way, um, you know, you mentioned Besser. Like that, that that extension will be realized when, if and when uh, they move, they move Eriksson. But I, if you were reading the, the clips. If you're reading the clips from the Erickson stuff, it it certainly sounds like uh, it, that they're, they're at a bit of a stalemate there. Where,
1: where do you rank Kevin Hayes in sort of the surprise of all this? Um, was that a, a move where you thought it was overpaid? Do you think it was a good move by Philly? What are what your thoughts on, on uh, the former Ranger going to Philly with his former coach? Well... Yeah, it was a it was a pretty massive overpay. Obviously, like this is the,
0: this is the the problem with UFA, though, right? Like everyone, by and large, is some degree of an overpay. Like Kevin Hayes is a pretty massive overpay, but you can call a guy an overpay while, in the same exact breath, say, hey, and by the way, uh, you know he's still a a pretty good hockey player, and that's what Kevin Hayes is. I right? Kevin Hayes had a phenomenal season last year; he really did. Um, both in New York and in Winnipeg. Um, and, and like the, the Flyers will be a materially better team with Kevin Hayes in the lineup but pause that for a second you can you can easily say that Kevin Hayes can add a win to two wins to a team in a given season yeah Um. and that that is worth a tremendous amount but is it worth 49 million dollars or 50 I think he's 49.99 so he, he's a 50 million dollar player over seven years and he hasn't Kevin Hayes has not had a single season where you can point to him and like, oh, there's a first line forward. And I get that he's not he's not carrying that 10 million dollar contract, but he's still carrying a pretty substantial cap hold uh, over the next now seven years. And I, it's kind of it's kind of a a, a a dice roll when you're playing with loaded dice that are a little bit unfavorable to you. Where like again, the the Flyers will be a better team. He is a legitimate weapon in their top six now. Um, and years one and two, you, you've got to be extremely bullish about, um, but you can say that while still pointing out that like this, this seems, it seems like the flyers. And if you remember the, it seems like the flyers were trying to get ahead of a run of teams spending a ton of money on, you know, second line forwards. Um, and, and it seems like the flyers like, all right, we're, we're going to be the first mover here and we're going to set the terms. And unfortunately for the flyers, the market never really shifted to what they thought it was going to be. And I, I think that's pretty fair to conclude, right? Like, when you've got guys like Furland and Zingle um, signing, I think, relatively team-friendly contracts, both of those guys are difference makers. Now, are they as good as Kevin Hayes? No, but those guys also signed for $13 million and $7 million, respectively, for total liabilities, where Kevin Hayes is at four, uh, $50. Like, I, I, I think that the Flyers may have overestimated the market and, and how it was going to react to this type of player uh, this summer. And I, I think if you I think if you would say to the Flyers, hey, we're going to go reverse this. We're going to go back into the middle of May or early May. Uh, I think the Flyers would be just as aggressive at getting Hayes because I think they love the fit there, and I think they think he's a really good player. But I would be curious to know if they would still pay him what they did.
2: You, so you like the Hayes fit there, even though we saw Hayes restricted under now Flyer head coach Elaine Vigneault while he was in New York? The 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 most lively I ever seen Kevin Hayes is when Elaine Vino left, and now he willingly re-upped with Vino for at least the first. He's got at least two years in Philly before the Flyers sour on him.
0: Yeah, I you know it's it's, it's interesting because there is that there is that context, but I it's it's pretty it's pretty rare to hear at least publicly, even in privately though the the whispers you know in the, in the roots. Of like a player won't sign with a team because of that guy. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty rare. Like that exists in other sports much more frequently. And I, I think a lot of it is just because culturally the NHL isn't in it, for good and bad reasons. I think the NHL is just in a little bit, a little bit of a different spot. Um, and I think generally speaking, players have at least working relationships with their respective coaches, um, coaching staff, the front offices, and yeah, there, there are there can be acrimonious relationships. We just mentioned one. There's clearly been a falling out between Louis Erickson and Vancouver. But, you know, I I think you also hit the implied point there, which is players get a lot of job security in the NHL, and it's deserved. They can sign six-, seven-, eight-year deals. Um, Coaching job security is, I don't want to say an all-time low because I don't know that to be mathematically true, but I can tell you directionally it's true. I mean, the shelf life of a coach right now is is pretty damn short. And even for a coach that, regardless of where you sit on him, Vigneault is respected around the league. He tends to carry a longer – he's going to carry a longer leash than your first or second-time coach. And, uh, again, he's going to be there for a period of time, but the, the question is how long and what does that mean for Hayes and, and what does that mean for the Flyers more generally. And that's, that's going to be a wait-and-see
1: moment for us. You say that coaches get fired, but they really just get new jobs. They kind of just switch around. Trotz goes to the Islanders. It, it just everyone plays merry-go-round in the NHL. There's no new coaching like almost ever.
0: Well, yeah. So they, they, both of those—they're not—you got—they're you, not mutually exclusive, right? So coaches tend to have pretty damn short lives with respect to any one respective team. Um, but the NHL, I believe, I think it's fair to say this. I think it's second only to college football in the amount of retreads that get pushed right back into That's the league totally after fair. two years. Like, yeah, and 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 that is, and that is, you know, I make this joke. I, I, I've said it a couple times, but. If you watch the NHL, you would think that there's only like 38 guys, and all of them are white males uh, capable of coaching hockey teams in the NHL. And it's it's mind-boggling because one, we know there's so much more talent, uh, you know, at, at at a college level. There's talent around, and and teams get very acclimated and comfortable with. Well, I know this guy; he's a known quantity. So because I know he's a known quantity, I'm comfortable with giving him his fourth shot in seven years, stuff like that. You know, there there are, in my opinion, there are examples of guys quote-unquote retreads getting second shots where I think it's absolutely deserved. Um, I, like for Dallas Aikens in Anaheim, I think that is a completely deserved second shot. He was with a complete tire fire in Edmonton. Um, he made mistakes, and he will be the first to admit it, but he went down to the AHL for years, built a, a really strong team in San Diego, and now he's getting a legitimate second shot with a team that is really low on talent right now so like there, there's 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 anecdotes and there's examples of like oh yeah that guy definitely deserves another shot but I mean by and large just just look through the league at how many guys hold on to assistant coaches head coaches I and, that, and it's true in the front office too right like I, I've been reading I've been following this week the 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 amount of Shirellis moving around the league and it's like each one is on you know the, their own their own man right And and they're graded accordingly but the amount of smoke about like where Peter Chiarelli is going to land is—I mean—I don't—I can't even begin to to rationalize how any team would think bringing in Peter Chiarelli at this point is a good idea with how bad of a job he did in Edmonton. But I, make no mistake, teams are doing that as we speak. Well, well,
2: isn't the isn't the ironic thing here is the team that was most connected to Chiarelli wasn't it Vancouver?
0: It was Vancouver and St. Louis. I think those are the two teams that we've heard intermittently. Over the past few years. St. Louis. Or the past few Four. weeks, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> St. Louis can't catch a break,
2: right? They just win a Stanley Cup, and now they get Peter Chiarelli. How about that? <laughs> um, <laughs> Travis, we talked about a team like Vancouver that wants you to believe they're contenders. Has there been a team this offseason where you take a step back and go, oh, damn, we have to worry about them now?
0: Whew. <laughs> um it's a really good question. Uh, I I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I, I clearly I think New Jersey's better. Like, a PK Subban is one player, uh, but he is the exact. Sometimes you find a really good fit for a team that's in really good need of a, a very specific type player, and the Devils sorely needed a capable puck moving defender. And again, where, wherever you stand on Subban, whether it's yeah, he's a good, he's a great defender. He's, you know, I don't think anyone thinks he's a Norris defender anymore, but he's a great defender. He's a good defender. He can give you rotational top four minutes. Regardless of where you sit, he's clearly an impact player at his position, and I thought the Devils were uniquely challenged with the lack of puck movement they had on the blue line, um, To the, at least to the extent that I think integrating him into that lineup would be much more impactful than him going to most other teams, just because the Devils don't really have any redundancies back there. Um, whereas many other teams do. Uh, the, you know, the, the other example, it's one team that's really done very little, uh, but quote, run it back, I think is, is, is mostly terrifying. I, I, I still, I still believe that Vegas post Mark Stone is one of the two or three best teams in the league. And, and like, the, the 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 disaster debacle meltdown with the awful call and then giving up all the goals and the penalty kill in the first round of San Jose
1: and losing that series
0: I, that that's gonna sting for a long period of time but if you look at Vegas's underlying numbers especially with Stone added and I you know I I think everyone's come around to the fact that Mark Stone is really kind of like the newer era of Patrice Bergeron where it's like oh yeah all of the defensive numbers and more broad Underlying numbers suggest he is a borderline superstar, if not a superstar in this league already. Um, adding him is a is a game changer for a team that was already so, so deep in, in the forward ranks. And I, I just look at the Western Conference, and there's plenty of great teams there. But I I think if you were to say who's the odds-on favorite out West or who's, who is the favorite in the West, I don't know how you don't end up with Vegas. And, and, and that's even recognizing that, you know, they're cap-constrained. They're probably going to have to move to Gusev and, and put a, a pick with him or something. And, you know, they have ran into their own salary cap issues. But, um, you know, like any – you know, I, make, I made this point. Like, and it's, it's true for the Maple Leafs as well. Like, I, I see people just killing the Leafs and killing the Knights for the cap issues they have right now. And it's like, look, yeah, uh, yeah, the, the Lulam era left them with Marlow and Zycev. And those contracts were awful. And now they're paying the price. And Vegas made a couple missteps in their own right. But at the end of the day, when you can get John Tavares and when you can get Mark Stone, you get John Tavares and you get Mark Stone. And you kind of let the rest of this stuff play its way out. Now, I'm not excusing bad cap, cap management, um, but I, I just don't think that's the case. Like, the, these teams are clearly loaded. And, and sometimes I wonder if we harp so much on cap issues um, because we're trying to figure out a way to say a really good team is not, not really good. And I, I think more times than not, it's mental gymnastics.
1: Well, now let's talk about, since we talked about good teams, let's talk about teams that will regress. What do you think is the team that was a contender last year that will kind of go into the dumpster this year, and why is it the Islanders? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, the Islanders are the answer. and I, 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 This
0: is an impartial answer, but I mean, look, the, the Islanders had a, I don't want to call it a miracle season, but anytime—and this is this is a blank statement true across the league—anytime you have a shot neutral or sh- shot negative team that is heavily reliant on goaltending performance, they are almost always the best bet to say that team is going to drop eight to ten to twelve points in the standings, regardless of what else happens. And in the Islanders' case, not only were, not only were we expecting massive goaltender regression just because um, the the goaltending duo there, but by the way, Leonard and Grice were. were so were quality goaltenders before last year's ridiculous run but even if we regress them back to natural expectations we would assume the islanders a minimum four to six wins worse than they were in the standings add to the fact that they lost you know they lost robin runner and you know they they, they go out and he get Simeon me who, so, um again a very reliable goaltender he's going to give you 55 games but the rest of the team um, they play too much in their own zone. Um, they were heavily reliant on goaltenders failing about most nights, and they really didn't change all that much in the skater group to point to them and say, "Oh yeah, they could, they could, they could buck a regression trend here." And, and, and again, I, I would be, I would not be the one standing up here suggesting that the Islanders would be dead last in the division, uh, but uh, they are much, much, much more likely to be on the outside looking in than vice versa. And coupled with the fact that, like, I am extremely, extremely bullish on a couple teams. Like, I, if anyone thinks Carolina is going anywhere, they are—they're completely out to lunch. The Hurricanes are going to be one of the three best teams in the division again this year. Um, I, I guess, I guess the other team staying in the division that's going to take a step back is Columbus. But I, I think that's kind of expected, right? You can't lose Panarin, Bobrovsky, DeShane, and Zingle in, in one off season and really emerge to that much better. I, I, I think they'll be a scrappy team still. they still got a really good blue line. But, you know, the, the bottoms coming out for the Islanders and, and Blue Jackets really do open the doors up for a team like the Rangers, who is obviously better, um, as well as teams like Carolina, to really solidify or entrench their spot in that division as well.
2: Did you see uh, they released the uh, conference odds today, first time? Did you see the Hurricanes are going off at
0: 20-1 to 1 to win the East? That that seems absurdly high. I mean, betting 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 to win the conference, you you, you might as well just go play powerball uh, with with all the nuance and, and and changes and shifts that happen in a league. Um, but again, look at look at the Eastern Conference, and uh, yes, Tampa Bay is clearly the best team in that conference. Um, Toronto is insanely good. Boston is very good. But like, look at Carolina's division. I think you can make a pretty compelling case that Carolina is the best or second best team in that division, and I like that alone with the playoff format where you have to advance out of your division, kind of lends itself well to those odds, doesn't it?
2: Oh yeah, and just to give you reference, I think the I know the Rangers and the Devils were around twelve to one. I think the Flyers were fourteen to one, and I think the Islanders were ahead of the uh, Hurricanes as well. It was the most ridiculous yeah, thing I've ever yeah. seen. And all I'm saying is, uh, the sports book in Schenectady opens tomorrow, and I am throwing money down on the Hurricanes
0: tomorrow. You should, you should run up to the book as well and see if they'll give you a, a prop bet on Islanders or Hurricanes straight up. Since the, since the betting markets appear to think that the Islanders are a better team, see if you can get that, that price straight up and take the Hurricanes all day. I, I think money. this is a sicko better. I, I ran into one, one of my buddies, is a big time Raiders fan, and I'm obviously a big time Bills fan. And I, I am also one of the most pessimistic Bills fan. And he gave me an hour talking about, you know, how good the Raiders are going to be. And I was like, the Raiders suck. And the, the Raiders aren't even going to finish above the Bills this year, which ended up in a massive prop bet, which I feel like I stole candy from a baby. So I encourage you to do the same. Uh, the Raiders are going to be smart, terrible. Smart,
2: smart to do that before hard knocks, too, when we know just how terrible the Raiders are.
0: My my rational, and of course this is an NFL podcast, but my rationale is pretty simple, right? You're the worst team in the best division with a brutal out-of-conference schedule, whereas the Bills, yeah, the Bills are the Bills. But the Jets are the Jets and the Dolphins are the Dolphins. You get to play four four winnable winnable games.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Plus, plus you're going to win those rando games where Josh Allen throws for five touchdowns, like randomly, or runs for 300 yards. What a handsome man, Josh Allen. Looks great in shorts. Best part (laughs) about him. <laughs> I,
2: I'm, I Travis. I like you, so I'm not going to say my usual things I say about Josh Allen on this podcast.
0: That's <laughs> true. Yeah, you better, you better show some respect, or I'm going to be, I'm going to be coming right up. So wait, wait. As, as a matter of, as a matter of point of contact here, I'm not probably not too far away from you guys.
1: Where are you guys? Where are you guys doing this matter? Uh, that's Greg. Go ahead. You, you go to the horses. Uh,
2: yeah Yeah. am I hide all year long in Troy. Uh. So this is my time of year where the track just opened, and I'm living at Saratoga. So if you want to, if you want to come up, oh, I'm an easy man to find.
0: Saratoga is. So let me tell you something. As a Long Islander, I I think my favorite annual trip every summer was, especially when I was growing up, was going up to Saratoga. Even as like a 14 year old, I was I was groomed into a degenerate horse better, betting betting the uh, the circus ponies that were priced at at 75 to one. My dad would be like, Travis, let me explain something. This horse has no chance of winning. He has three legs. And I would say, but
1: 75 time. <laughs> Um, As a, also a Long Islander myself based out of Bayshore, we need to talk about two things. First, Belmont is definitely something you've been to multiple times. Uh, is there like, there's no comparing Belmont to Saratoga, right? It's just like a totally different night and day like, situation where Belmont seems really buttoned up and where Saratoga seems relaxed and hang out. Uh, well, not only that. Have you, uh, like, have you ever been to Belmont on like a
0: Tuesday? It, no. it's like a generous city. It's not look, I, I <laughs> Belmont is like a Belmont is like a forty forty five minute drive from Patrick, Belport area. and I like that 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 drive because I know it's at the end of that road in Belmont's track. Uh, it might as well be eight hours for me. whereas Saratoga, is like seven hour drive that's that's
1: not too bad. I can make that in a day. Saratoga's, is like four from from Bayshore, but yeah, it's doable. Um, so speaking of Bayshore, uh, we had our most famous viral moment over the past week where, uh, Bagel Boss Man, which is literally my bagel store, which I wasn't going to, happened. Um, how does some angry man go so viral? And as a former Long Islander or current Long Islander like yourself, how do you take that? Well, I just,
0: I, I do, I said this two days ago. The most underappreciated and underrated moment of that video he really did us right by really nailing the pronunciation of Fomindale, Um he to did. a point where you know I'm looking, I'm looking around you know I got I got buddies you know all over at this point um, you know and I went I went to school at Arizona State and you know you just talk to people and they're like what what town is that I'm like it's it's Fomindale. like it's that's Fomindale. what it is I don't <laughs>
1: it's, it's, yeah, it's Massachusetts <laughs>
0: like, that, that was that was easily the best part so I've spent I've spent a lot of time out in New York in the last like eight ten years so i've become much more cognizant of the extreme long island accent that i've only partially lost i think but um I, when he when he went into that rant i was like oh there it is there it is there is my face short guy
1: that's my guy uh i just i'm just I mean, happy my hometown has a as a mascot now we had the marauders before which is my high school mascot we're totally changing to bagel boss man we have to is he really just, from is he from the hometown or is he, uh, he 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 I think his his new Twitter, which he put out like yesterday and now he's selling t-shirts, says he's from Massapequa. But uh <laughs> but he was in Bayshore, my hometown, uh during that which is next to my favorite sushi place and one of the better pizza places around here. So if you're gonna visit, please eat all three places. Can we can we just
0: talk can we just I just want to say one thing. I yeah. saw
1: the follow-up video, I thought I think it was news twelve. There, Unbelievable! Where... I'm living in a van
0: by choice. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and and, and and like I don't even
0: the, the way the camera guy had the angle, it made the girl who was trying to do her job and I thought doing a pretty good job, uh they made her seem like she was six seven next to this guy. And like they were really emphasizing that point, like look how she powers over this guy. And I love how he ended it with a uh, Yeah, I don't really like you. Stop gonna go <laughs> Uh It's
2: just phenomenal. News Twelve, I think, is the same news station that put out the Dear John video. So it really makes me question a lot. As someone that works in news, either News Twelve is doing everything right, or I'm doing everything wrong. There's no like in between. It might be a blend of the two. All right.
1: Um,
2: Now, Travis, what I need to know is where are you going to get into a similar rant, and what are you ranting about? Like, if you if if something happened in your life and everything was crashing down, and in a public, what's the public place you end up in that rant at?
0: Probably Red Lobster. I can't take. Oh, can't we need to fucking the talk. Red we need to talk.
1: <laughs> I, I, I totally take, forgot about I this.
0: Take the anti Red
1: Lobster. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. All right. <laughs> Have you ever eaten lunch at Red Lobster? Because it's abysmal.
0: Like, no. I oh, you know, first off, you're making rookie mistakes, and that's fine. It's understood. You're gonna make rookie mistakes. It was my grand. It was my red grandma's funeral. I a, didn't choose to go, with Travis. <laughs> I was forced. <laughs> red Lobster is a. Red Lobster is a. Hey, let's go grab dinner between the hours of three and five. And you get a beautiful meal. You tip the maitre d' on the way out and it's great seafood. It's wholesome eating.
1: You're in and out in an hour. Like I will not hear any red lobster slander. Unbelievable. Never go to red lobster for lunch. The cheese biscuits are literally all time though. It's unbelievable. You cannot beat them. I don't know how many calories they are. Nobody tell me and do not tweet at me.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, you know, when I, before I reached
1: VIP, Red Lobster, um, you know, I, I, I didn't like the little game they were
0: playing where I'd be like, yeah, I need some more biscuits. And then, you know, they served you four, yeah. and then here come two, and then here comes two. And I'm like, no, 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 just keep bringing them in sets of four, and I'll let you know when I'm done. It's <laughs>
1: it's it, That's how it should be. And I know that's the reason people come and they have to cut you off, kind of like you're a little too drunk at the bar. But there's a reason I'm here. It's for the cheese biscuits. The shrimp are second. <laughs> the shrimp are so that's second. True. All right, Travis, that is fair. we've taken up all your time. I appreciate you so much coming back on. And hopefully, uh, you want to plug all your stuff before we get out of here? Yeah, this, I literally have nothing to plug other than this is the one thing I will
0: plug. Uh, so at TSN, all of the important people go away for the summer, and they basically throw me the keys and are like, all right, whatever. Figure it out until September when all the important stuff will happen again. So if you're vaguely bored on a random Wednesday, like, yeah, let's, let's see what new hockey stuff's out there. CSN.ca, and it's going to be just a run of my articles, most of which will suck, but you might find an occasionally good one there, and uh, I recommend
1: Awesome, Travis. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully we can come back on during the season. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, man. Bye. Hey, we're back with our first guest of the day. We have Sarah Sivian from The Athletic. I have to open up with uh, a burning hot question I have for you, Sarah. I've read your Twitter page, and it says you're a Third Eye Blind supporter. What's wrong with you? Are you okay?
3: <laughs> they actually have some great deep cuts um haters gonna hate but they throw a cheap concert they throw a good concert and it's timeless summer music
1: timeless summer music actually is a good way to describe third eye blind but that's not why we brought you onto the podcast it was more to talk about some of the former uh hurricanes and some of the current hurricane situations let's start with uh, adam fox and what the rangers traded for Adam Fox. Were you surprised when the Hurricanes finally gave up on Adam Fox? Well, rather gave up or gave into his demands, rather? Or was this something that was always expected?
3: I mean, I didn't particularly expect it just because of the way that the uh, management and brass seemed so gung-ho about it. I mean, the rating was on the wall if you actually thought about it because his dad has season tickets to the Rangers, and it's like the... Hurricanes blue line was pretty much full and they had this whole mentality that was like, you got to earn it. So no one's just waltzing onto the blue line because they are getting signed, you know, like they have a bunch of NHL defensemen and obviously trading to alleviated the log a little bit, but it was still like, I get, if he wants to play now, like the Canes might've not been the perfect place for him.
2: What can you Are, tell? Oh, does sorry. it does it change your opinion at all of the uh, Lindholm Hamilton trade? Because for I, I still, I'll, I'll go to my grave saying I, I still think Dougie Hamilton was the best piece in that deal. But not getting the Adam Fox you thought you were getting. Do you think I, everything's twenty twenty hindsight? But do you think it damages the Hurricanes' return at all? On top, I'll of I'll be Dougie
3: honest with you. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't like thinking like this. I think it's stupid to think in terms of who won a trade or who lost a trade. I like to think about, like, who made the Eastern Conference Final and who didn't. So, like, the Canes, their team was better because of the people that they got in the return. And um, it's better to trade players that might not necessarily resign for something and it wasn't just something. It was Dougie Hamilton and Michael Frilland Who Michael Fralind was really important to the team before he got hurt and before the whole kind of saga with him started. So it. it I don't like to evaluate trades like who won the trade, but um, obviously it's not great that they don't get to sign Adam Fox. But um, it, like, it, it's not. We'll have to see how this pans out in his whole career because. Right. It's very uncertain still.
1: For Ranger yeah, fans that are...
2: He, he's a lottery ticket.
1: Right. For Ranger fans that are excited about Adam Fox, what can you tell us about him that we might not know?
3: Well, he makes a fool out of any of his competition. And to be fair, his competition hasn't been the greatest in the, um, modern day ECAC. It hasn't been the greatest, but um, he... It's still promising that he can just waltz into the ozone. Like his ozone entries are absolutely insane. Um, some of the best we've I've seen in college hockey in the past five years. So if he can keep that up at a pro level, then that's awesome. But the Canes probably didn't want to promise that he could get in NHL spot, knowing that there are tons of already the log jam on the um, NHL roster and also like a few players in the AHL that have been doing kind of what he does at the, at the pro level. So we're going to have to see how he does at the pro level, but it's been like, it is really exciting in terms of like Tory Krug type defenseman to see what he could possibly do.
2: You mentioned Michael Ferland a little bit ago. Does it surprise you, considering just how volatile the NHL free agency is, is it surprising to you that someone who had such as good a season as Furland did, that he's still a free agent? And not just a free agent, but we're we're not hearing anything about him. I don't remember a single Furland rumor in the last two weeks.
3: I mean, like, what do you mean he had a good season? I think he had a good season until he got hurt. Like, the first time of the season was awesome. But then it's just kind of like when he fell off when he returned from injury the first time and then obviously there's a recency bias with how he didn't really play in the playoffs and when he did it like it just wasn't very inspiring so people are gonna see that and remember that and I think he got offered a decent deal by the Canes at the deadline and kind of bet on himself and maybe that's the bad the downside of betting on yourself right like Aho's the upside of betting yourself and Furland is probably the downside, but um, I, I would think it would be about term, but I don't know.
2: It's, it's just, it seems, it seems odd to me that, I mean, he, Marcus Johansson, who was battle injury, unfortunate injury year after year, still gets a two year, four and a half million dollar offer from the Sabres. It just, it always seems odd to me that a guy like Furland, who had maybe the best year of his career up until his injury last year, is not just sitting on the free agent market. We're just not hearing anything about him.
3: Yeah, we aren't hearing anything about it. Um, I don't really have much to add to that, except yeah, it, it is kind of weird. But I do think the I don't know, like the last se- the last half of the season really dropped his value, and I I think he's probably it takes longer to negotiate like with the recency bias, you know?
1: Yeah, so, you talked about the upside of or the the better outcome, which would be Aho. What was the reaction from the Carolina Hurricanes? I'm assuming they were very uh, celebratory when the Montreal Canadiens offered the uh, the offer sheet. Rather, how, how what was the reaction immediately?
3: Yeah, and people kind of went crazy at me for tweeting that they did cheer when they found out the money. But that's it was because it was so low. Like they expected that it was going to be way higher. If you're going to go out and offer sheet someone, and the reason and then people say why didn't they already do it because they wanted to lock him down for eight years and they weren't going to back down on that and Ajo didn't want to pull a New so when he sees a five-year deal for pretty good money he's going to sign it
1: oh it's, it's great money for him I mean he wasn't getting paid nearly the amount he's getting paid now but it still feels like uh an underpayment and a great contract for Ajo of course
3: yeah, I mean it's all a negotiation. They were going they were planning on paying him at least this amount, if not more. But it was about the term for them.
1: Got it. Do you um,
2: do you plan any trips to Montreal soon? It feels like they welcome you with open arms.
3: Yeah, it's gonna be a no for me. I love that city, but we'll see at the draft.
2: What what um let's I mean it's, it's, there's almost no point of playing this hypothetical because the Canadians did the Hurricanes a big favor. But do you think was there a line in the sand where the Hurricanes wouldn't have gone if the if the Canadians say if we get to like around ten and a half like what's the blinking point you think because it wasn't eight point four it was never eight point four the fact that someone thought that annual salary would be a hindrance to the Hurricanes is laughable I just I'm always curious as to if you thought there was a blinking point that the Canadians could have reached
3: like. It's tough because we're. What is the team without Aha right now? They aren't going to be a Cup contender without Aha right now. So I would say something upwards of twelve million.
1: Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that checks out. I mean, that would match almost uh, the Be Artemi Panarin money almost, uh, or so, so much more. But that's what we've been dealing with on our side. Um, yeah. Obviously, this year what has the been. time for you guys. Yeah, we're very excited. Uh, I guess this is a great transition to another player the Rangers now have. Uh, our our new fan favorite, especially for this podcast, and that's Greg McGaig. Uh, Greg McGaig. R- one of the all-time names in hockey history. Uh, what can you tell us about the legend himself?
3: I mean, he's just awesome. I kind of was familiar with him from when I covered the Penguins, too, and uh, I a certain GM told me that he had been treated poorly in previous organizations when he had. A, he's been kind of a journeyman in the AHL, and like a fringe NHL player, and one – GM told me that they weren't going to do him like the rest of the teams did and they kind of did him like that. But then the Hurricanes didn't really have a choice and so many people came under and they gave him a chance and he was the fastest guy out there at like when everyone started getting injured in like double overtime of game seven and um, against the the Caps. And he was just one of the only bright spots of the Eastern Conference final and he is an awesome fourth-line center and deserves to be in the NHL. And he's just a great story of kind of consistently proving people wrong and how much it takes to make a name for yourself, even if you have a great
1: name. It's very easy to have, <laughs> uh, have a great name like Meg- Greg McGeg and, and have a great name for yourself. Now, uh, he probably gets fourth-line minutes. A question I asked. Greg, Grego, in the past podcast was, do you think Greg Greg McEgg makes the team? So you believe like this guy's an NHL caliber fourth line center who could really bring good chemistry to a team? Because frankly, the Rangers are kind of lacking in centers right now.
3: Uh, yeah, he was out there in double overtime of the, yeah, the Cup I mean, final. That kind of speaks for itself. Right? He's going to be he's or not Stanley Cup final, but round one of the playoffs. He is a fourth line center.
1: Wonderful. Um, I guess I want to transition to sort of the season for the hurricanes was there a uh, other than the playoffs was there a moment where you felt like the momentum shifted for the hurricanes was there a moment where it was like there was a big turning point because obviously this was one of the more fun seasons for the canes
3: um i think the nino trade it wasn't just about acquiring nino but it was just kind of like a relief to have the shooting percentage and like the the finishing touch that they had missed for so long and then uh, obviously, when the goalies, when Marozik started getting hot, it was kind of like they could do any. It felt like they could do anything because it's like if they had over, they'd been the coursey gods for so long, and it's like, oh, we can just keep doing this. But all it takes is a, a good cold tender and somebody with a killer instinct, and we can all believe in ourselves and get this done. Then that probably they started getting confident, and it was probably the turning point.
2: Did I, obviously. No organization has ever – I don't even want to call it adversity because I feel like that gives Don Cherry too much credit. But it I can't remember the last time any pro team has ever taken criticism and made it a team identity quite like the Hurricanes have. Uh, um, they didn't.
3: They, that wasn't the, the case. They had had that identity since the first day of the season. But it was kind of like – it was great for the hidden. fans. It was great for the marketing staff. But um, they didn't really pay attention to him
2: god bless them if they didn't uh they
1: don't have to anymore which is nice
2: yeah well no but like I don't know I'm, I'm I'm trying to think of the words it's just the celebrations after the game were some of the most fun that I've seen just on hockey twitter full stop period in a very long time from you seeing it on a nightly basis and from you getting to see fan reaction, hang around after a win in a market that traditionally not respected. Um, what what did this season really mean for just Hurricanes hockey in, a, in in a nutshell?
3: It meant so much, even if they didn't end up making the playoffs because it was just like something for the fans to rally around. And like you would see videos of little kids kind of, clapping along with the storm surges and like I'd see kids buying their first puck at the eye, which is their, um, like team merchandise store. And I would see Brenda Moore's little one doing the kayak storm surge. And I'm just like, this is bigger than it's bigger than many think. And also the fact that they won and they got so far with doing that, it just kind of sets a really good example that you can have fun and celebrate your wins and, be a winning team with still having fun and still taking the pressure off yourself because these days in hockey, it's like everybody drinks a green juice and everybody is uh, trained to be like Sidney Crosby from the first day they can put on skates. And it's like, that is not healthy. And um, just teaching kids that they can relax a little bit and still put in the hard work, but celebrate it. I think was really important.
1: Truly. uh, I guess this leads me to sort of my last question, which is what do you expect from the Hurricanes next year? Especially the Metro kind of retooled between the Rangers, the Devils, Phil Kessel going out. Uh, there's a lot of different changes. So are, can we expect a similar run from the Hurricanes next year?
3: Yeah, I mean, the Rangers and the Devils got so much tangibly better already. And even the Sabres, it's not the Metro, but it's like, a. I love the, um, the recent signing, but I think they're just going to have to stick to their game. They're going to have to work harder than everybody else to prove people wrong again. Um, can they do that? That depends on if Miraz, like, didn't have a fluke season and if he can stay consistent in net for them and if maybe the Alex uh, Nigel Kovic I, – I think I pronounced that right. They have so many terrible names. You're, you're in the Not right place for mispronouncing, to so you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But I – if he can step up and kind of Jordan Benetting the situation, then I think they have a great chance. And if Svechnikov takes that extra step, and if Aho is fueled by all the drama and uh, Williams comes back, then I do think they have a real shot to maintain what they have. It's just such a tight race in the Metro.
2: Yeah. Well, the good news is whatever the Flyers do, uh, they got Elaine Vigneault, so I'm not worried about them in the slightest there. We'll be okay, both of uh, us. That's true.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: do you expect – this will be my last question as well. Do you, ex- the, do you expect the Hurricanes to do anything – I guess the word, I, the word to use would be like significant the rest of the offseason. I know Marazic is is hanging out there, and that's a big one. But outside of addressing the goalie situation, is there another move you could see the Hurricanes doing to add to what's going on right now?
3: I mean, one more 20-plus goal to work, never hurt anybody. And I know Don is not, like, hanging up the phone. He's still listening. But, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't bank on it. It's just kind of like it, it'll say a lot about them if they bank on their prospects or if they kind of go for a proven score. But I think it would happen via trade.
2: Awesome, Sarah. Well, there might be, might be a guy named Chris Kreider available that might interest you. Yeah, we'll see if we can uh, help you out. <laughs> we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what we can
1: do. We've done some trades before. Sarah, Sarah, why don't you plug all everything you do is for The Athletic, et cetera, and then we'll let you get out of here.
3: Oh, thanks so much. Um, well, I curve the hurricanes for theathletic.com slash Carolina. My Twitter is Sarah with no H, Sivian, C-I-V-I-A-N. I guess that's it. All right.
2: Let us, let us know how we can help get you sponsored by White Claw as well.
3: God,
1: that's the only goal. That's the only goal? We can chat. All right. Thanks, Sarah. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Have a good night. Bye. Hey, we're back. All right. Two great interviews in the books. Kind of want to come back and say goodbye to everyone. have gotten a lot of interesting emails and messages from Finland recently uh, where someone sent me cocoa bread today, which I thought was very nice. Someone asked if we were doing hooded jackets. Yeah, we're going to be doing a lot more different merch for Church of Kako. It's kind of just the dead period right now. We're waiting for the um, you know, the season to start up and things to pick, pick back up again. Of course, you guys are just listening to Blue Church Breakaway, which we love so much, and I appreciate that. But for now, we, we will keep you posted on the Church of Kako. A lot more to come towards the season. Very exciting stuff. It's my time here to thank all the Patreon subscribers who are seriously the backbone of this podcast. There's a couple of them I have to name. Uh, who are just truly the greatest people on earth. First, our true bae, the love of our life, Tori from Manhattan, who's been a supporter since day one. Sean Taggart, who writes for our website. Ben Waters, who's literally uh, always giving us shout-outs. Mike Smith, who's my guy. Eric Stagg from Cincinnati, who's also my dude, who texts all the time. And Mr. Brian Doyle, who has also been a backbone for literally ever. Thank you guys for being Patreon supporters and truly helping us do this. Greg, anything else we want to say before we end the podcast this week?
2: Uh, I I just realized we went this entire podcast without mentioning that Kako signed his entry level contract. And I just want to say that Kako has signed his entry level contract. Not surprising. Not, uh, not surprising.
1: No, the biggest, the biggest non-story was that like, oh, is anyone worried that Kako hasn't signed? No, dude, I'm not. I couldn't, I couldn't be less worried. Kako was at festivals with his bros dressing in, like, some really crazy millennial or Generation Z f- fashion attire and just fucking killing it and raving all night long. He's got other things to do. Also, yeah, you know, and, being uh, a messiah and all that.
2: And to anyone wondering why we didn't focus a little bit more on Truba, whose arbitration date is July 25th, it's because we have another podcast before then. We do. I guarantee you he doesn't sign before that
1: podcast. We do. So we'll be able to talk about more of that next week. Um, if you want to follow us on – oh, um, And we may be coming to a local newspaper near you. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we, we've got some surprises in store. <laughs> that would be the weirdest article of all time. Um, Stay tuned. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at ryan ORyanMeet. And Greg runs the main account where he also tweets about everything else in his life, which, including his parents, Mets, and the Rangers, you can follow him at, at Blue Shirts break. He does a killer job there. Uh, until next time, we'll be back next week. Leave some five-star questions support us on Patreon, and just send us some love. Bye, guys. Love you.
3: This is the story
0: of the one.